Jesus eats the Passover meal with his disciples and announces ratification of the greatest covenant in all the Bible, the New Covenant, on The Bible Brief. Our goal is to hit 100 new monthly supporters before the end of 2023. Will you be one of the 100? Give today at BibleLit.org. From the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Judas Iscariot has been busy. Not only had he been with his rabbi Jesus as the famous teacher came into Jerusalem to shouts of praise, but Judas had also been plotting in the background. Judas was one of the twelve, one of the special twelve disciples that Jesus specifically called into closer fellowship with him, and to whom he gave special authority. These twelve not only followed Jesus for most of his public ministry, walking with him, eating with him, and listening to him, but they were also sent out by him. In fact, for a period of time, the twelve were sent by Jesus to proclaim the gospel throughout towns and villages of Judea. These men were chosen, and yet Judas was different. Judas Iscariot had a greed problem and an honesty problem. Judas was in charge of the money bag for the ministry of Jesus and the Twelve. And not unlike a modern nonprofit, Jesus had generous supporters of his ministry, and when people gave, the money was given to Judas Iscariot. He was to keep charge of it and to use it as needed for supporting the ministry. And yet, Judas didn't do what he was supposed to do. In fact, just before they came into Jerusalem this week, Judas questioned the use of a valuable ointment that a woman used to worship Jesus. He reasoned publicly that the ointment should have been sold and the proceeds given to the poor. But Jesus rejected this notion. Judas's apparent pragmatism got in the way of worship of Jesus. More than that, however, Judas had a hidden motive. He wanted the proceeds from that ointment for himself, as he'd begun stealing from the ministry money bag. Greed had seeped into Judas's heart, and within days, greed would be his downfall. The Passover meal has come, and the group is assembling to commemorate the great event from 1,500 years prior, that monumental night where bloodshed protected from bloodshed, where a lamb's blood saved the firstborn of every Israelite home. The disciples Peter and John had made most of the preparations. According to the command of Jesus, they'd found a location for the disciples to eat the meal in this upper room in Jerusalem, and these two disciples had ensured all the necessary elements were at the feast. 
They also were likely the ones responsible for procuring the sacrificial lamb that would be eaten that night. A lamb that was to be slaughtered and roasted, with not a bone broken in the process. The disciples finally arrived in the room to eat the meal, and there were almost certainly readings from the Hebrew Bible to remember the miraculous deliverance of the people of Israel from bondage. Jesus and his disciples soon began to eat this meal of lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. No doubt there was a tension in the room based on some of Jesus' comments in the prior days. Comments about his coming death and that his hour had come. But what Jesus did in the middle of the meal surprised every last one of the disciples. We read this in John chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The awe among the disciples must have led to minutes of silence as Jesus began to kneel down before each disciple and wash their feet, something that only servants normally did. In fact, Jesus did something that none of the disciples themselves had stooped to do. Apparently at this meal, no servants of the house were present, which meant that the sandaled feet of the disciples would have remained unwashed and dirty before this evening meal. Unwashed, unless one of the disciples were to assume the servant role. But none did. Only Jesus stooped low enough to become the servant. And here's where Simon Peter comes in, rejecting the notion that Jesus should wash his feet at all. When Jesus had come to him, Peter says this, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Jesus, like he often did, elevated a simple act to illustrate a spiritual truth. Taking the posture of a lowly servant, he washes each of their feet as an act of humility and service. The washing that Jesus was doing to his disciples represents what Jesus does to those who believe in him. He makes them completely clean. And in doing this, he allows them to have fellowship with him. Fellowship that one of the twelve will not experience, despite the representative foot washing. Now, the elevation of this act of service to a spiritual level doesn't detract from the lesson in servanthood that Jesus is teaching as well. This is what Jesus says after coming back to his place at the table. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In this act of foot washing, not only was Jesus illustrating a spiritual principle of fellowship, but also a grounded principle of service. He says to his disciples that as their master and teacher, this was another lesson. If the master stoops to serve, then those he leads should serve as well. Jesus is the example that his disciples are to follow. But all this has been but a prelude to the main event of the night an event that places an exclamation point on the foot washing that Jesus had done. A foretaste of the ultimate act of service that Jesus would do for the Father on behalf of the world he loves. Later in this meal, Jesus says words that instruct all those who follow him even to this very day. He says this, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The minds of the disciples must have been racing, with hearts that felt like they were beating outside their chest. Jesus had just announced something that had been the hope of their people for centuries. He announced nothing less than that the new covenant that had been most clearly described by Jeremiah 500 years before the new covenant was about to be ratified by Jesus himself. Somehow Jesus would usher in a new era, an era hinted at by Moses and further explained by later prophets. Jesus would make a beginning for his people with the new covenant, a covenant where they would come back to God with true hearts of knowledge and love for God, a covenant in which God would forgive their sins and remember them no more. The Messiah himself would make the new covenant. And yet, the gravity of the words Jesus used must have taken the disciples' breath away. He didn't just announce the new covenant, but he said it would be ratified in his blood, with his broken body. Surely a few of the disciples glanced at the remains of the slain and roasted Passover lamb before them, and then glanced back at Jesus. Their rabbi, the Son of God was going to be slain as a sacrifice, and this bread and wine would represent that very sacrifice. Within the Passover meal would be this meal of bread and wine, a remembrance of what Jesus was about to do. Then as they continued to look at Jesus, they saw his face darken as he looked troubled and the tension in the room heightened further. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of the disciples asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, 
It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas Iscariot. Then, after Judas had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. The enemy had been working on Judas, tempting him and preparing him for this moment. Satan was only biding his time, waiting for just the right moment to finally put an end to this Messiah once and for all. His temptations in the wilderness had failed, and his demonic rule was being pushed out of strongholds through the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. Yet this one, this Judas, all it took to take him down was some shiny, small, stamped pieces of metal. Earlier that week, Judas offered to the chief priests to turn Jesus over to them for the right price. And all it took was 30 pieces of silver. 30 silver coins for the red blood of the Lamb. Join us next time as Jesus tells of coming events that will shape the future for his disciples for generations to come. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023